Welcome to episode 75 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Hey, welcome back to another episode. Um, last week I was able to attend a, um, kind of a training, more of like a group discussion that was sponsored by presence learning, the company I work for. And it was specifically on telepractice for secondary students, which I have to say, I never planned on doing. (laughs) (laughs) I never wanted to work with high school students. I still have recurring nightmares where for some reason they decide I didn't get my high school degree and I have to go back and do high school again. It's a recurring nightmare. So the fact that I work with them now is kind of, I have to work through some things, but I'm learning a lot and I'm actually enjoying it a lot more than I thought I would. And I like being able to work with people that I can have conversations with is, is really fun. And, um, just getting to know them. And I have a lot less R clients, which is a nice break for me. Still have a couple, but uh, I'm really enjoying it. And some things that I've learned and that I learned from that training that I wanted to bring up and share, and they aren't necessarily telepractice specific because it was interesting in the training that nobody really brought up telepractice being a barrier for working with these kids. All of the barriers that we brought up were things that were related to just working with the population and not anything with the like technology. But some common themes that came up as solutions is making sure that it's things that our kids care about. And um, I always try and get to know my kids and ask them questions about how school's going. And at the end of every session, I say like, okay, these are the strategies I've taught you today. Now, how are you going to use them to help you in a class um, to kind of have them have buy-in and realize that I'm not there to, and I tell them this, I'm not there to give them something extra to do. I'm there to make the rest of school easier. And I think having them have that, that perspective and us having that perspective works, but some good ideas I got from that training was someone said that they have a copy of the state's um, driving lesson driving test book and that they will use vocabulary from there and directions from there. And, uh, cause what's more motivating for a teenager than learning how to drive. So, uh, those were some of the ideas. And a lot of people talked about having things be very, um, career oriented and looking forward to not just being good at school, but how to be good at getting a job and life after. And so those were some good ideas that were brought up in that training and by the, uh, the other people that we were speaking to and, um, and then some of my ideas of how to work with this population. Well, that's really cool. You know, the, the, that, the driving aspect and learning how to drive it, that would be a, a really big motivator for most students. Right? Yeah. I'd never thought of that before. I think yeah. it's a great idea. It, it kind of reminds me, I'm just sort of thinking about that as a, as a activity, because I saw a similar activity done, but it was with a, a, an older stroke patient who was reorienting to her neighborhood. And they did Google Earth, and they actually sort of went around the neighborhood and, mm-hmm. you know, through Google Earth. But you could do the same thing about teaching uh, a teenager, like, you know, high school student, 
how to drive and you know right same kind of thing so yeah yeah that'd be kind have of them cool. like list through the directions that they mm -hmm. would have to do and yeah and uh that's another one i have done before where i had a student that was working on following directions which is a goal i don't love for high school students because mm -hmm. it's hard to make it functional but she was mm -hmm. on a dance team so i would you know in my limited dance vocabulary would call out some um some dance moves and just because we were online just have her kind of like repeat them back to me to make sure that she could remember mm -hmm. and that was pretty functional for her that she has mentioned before that she has a hard time remembering all of the steps when she's learning a new dance so I, right. that's the biggest thing. I mean, that's true with any population, but mm -hmm. it's probably just harder to figure out what will motivate a teenager. But right. I think that's the, the biggest thing about working with them is just finding something that makes them care. Yes, exactly. And, and, and frankly, you know, most of my students, my undergrad students are, you know, not far from being teenagers themselves. Um, you know, they're, they're in undergrad. Um, usually my undergrad students that I'm teaching are usually sophomore level, and of course. And so they're younger, but, and then the grad students are, you know, a little bit older, but, you know, I think about what the, what teenagers are going through today with all the social media and the pressures and the and how you know sort sort of the cyber bullying that can happen and and you know you know it's and certainly when I was growing up there were people that bullied but it wasn't <laughs> it was someone who was standing around the corner when you walked down the hall who hit you in the back right. of the head or something right they couldn't uh, come home with they, you and that's couldn't... what social right. media lets them do is come home with you and be there all the time yeah. exactly exactly. Exactly. So, you know, they, you know, the pressures they're under these days is, is very different than they may be what some of us, uh, a little bit older adults uh, went through when, when we were younger. Um, so I, you know, I, I really, you know, applaud what, what they're having to go through. So mm -hmm. I think finding those things that really motivate them, I think that's the key. That's a yep. Yep. great ideas. And so who, we have someone really special on today that yes, you know uh, very, very I, I, well. Yep, yep. Um, it happens to be my sister, so, but she is also a, um, a physical therapist and a director of um, therapy services at her the hospital that's local to her. And so we have her on today to talk about their experience and some of the challenges that they've met with and unique solutions that they've used for um, with using telehealth and telepractice. Awesome. Hi, it's Todd here at the 3C Digital Media Network. I'm here to let you know about some exciting changes coming to 3C, and I hope that you'll want to be part of it. We're moving our website onto the Learn Worlds platform. We should have this completed very soon. And when we are finally on the Learn Worlds platform, we'll be offering even more webinars and courses, as well as being able to provide more functionality in general to, to all of our subscribers and, and people who visit our website. But we want to do all that, but we need you. We need you to help us out. 
we want to greatly increase the number of webinars and courses that we're offering. So if you have a webinar idea or a course that you'd like to offer, please send me an email at todd at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and I will be in touch. Now, back to the interview. Hey, we want to welcome Dina Stevenson to the podcast and in full disclosure, Dina is my sister. So, but she is also a physical therapist and is um, working at in charge of a rehab unit at uh, her local hospital. So we will ask her more about that. So uh, Dina, uh, we usually have our guests start by telling us how they got into the field that they are working in. So how did you get into being a physical therapist? Um, so I, uh, had an undergraduate degree in finance and exercise science, and I, um, worked in an accounting department for about a year, um, after my bachelor's degree and did not enjoy it very much. Um, there just, it wasn't interactive enough. And I, uh, just felt like I was sitting at a desk all day and didn't really enjoy that. And um, about that time, and I live um, near a local university, and so I kind of started looking into what, you know, if I was going to continue my education, what would I do? I wasn't really interested in an MBA because I felt like it would be the same things I already just learned at that point, um, just doing it in groups, and so I was kind of looking at doing something different, and I really didn't have any family members or mentors or anyone I knew that did anything in the medical field really at all. Um, but about that time, my husband um, fell skiing and separated his shoulder. And he had surgery and went to physical therapy. And so he and he said, you need to come meet my physical therapist. You need to do this. You would love this. So it was his idea, which he often has really good career ideas for other people, sometimes struggles with his own. Um, but so it was his idea. So I started kind of volunteering at the clinic and, um, I needed to take a few prerequisite classes, um, some science classes and, um, then applied to physical therapy school, um, ended up getting into Creighton university in Omaha, Nebraska. That's where I got my physical therapy, uh, degree. Um, it was a doctorate in physical therapy at that point, which was kind of a new, the profession had just been changed, has just, had just started changing from a master's to a doctorate. So um, I think at that, at the time, it was one of only two, maybe three doctorate programs. And I think most of them have changed to that now. Anyway, so that's how I got into the profession. Um, I love it. It provides a ton of flexibility for me that I love. Um, cause I can do all kinds of things, work in all kinds of locations. And I feel like I've taken advantage of that and it's kept, um, the job exciting for me. So, uh, currently I am the director of therapy services, um, in our hospital over about 28 therapists, um, PTs, OTs, um, speech language pathologists. So that's kind of my journey. Great. 
And actually, I haven't heard any of that before because I was about 10 when all of that was going on. <laughs> so, yes. so that's good. That's good to hear. Um, someone also told me my job that I should have, which was Jan, our other sister, <laughs> told me this is what you should do. So sometimes that is the best person is the p- other people who know you well. Yeah. So with your um, therapist and uh at the hospital, how did you guys uh, utilize teletherapy once COVID hit? Um, so we um, just had, it was a pretty, you know, rapid change between, I felt like at least, I mean, we, he- we heard about it. I felt like it was a rapid change between hearing about COVID as a thing and then all of a sudden having it be our thing. And even though we didn't have a ton of patients till probably, you know, this time in 2020, so it took a while, we were delayed um, where we are in that being a serious problem. Um, it did come up. So uh, we, the, the things that we got involved with as far as teletherapy, uh, we enacted or purchased some iPads with a communication system that um, it was mainly um, initiated for the intensivists. So the ICU doctors that would be able to communicate with the patients um, in the room without having to go into the room because at the beginning, um, PPE, um, personal protective equipment was at a premium. We didn't know how much we would have. Um, We didn't have enough. And so that was a challenge at first we were actually like limiting people who could use masks and things like that, which seems weird now because everyone's wearing masks all the time, but we didn't know if we were going to have enough. So those were, um, those resources were protected. So they had um, computers on carts or iPads in the room and then um, a terminal outside the room. So that was started for the intensivist. How we used it in the therapy department is at the time I only had one um, full-time speech language pathologist and um, she defined herself as high risk for COVID and was very, you know, apprehensive about going in the room. And and honestly, I was apprehensive about her working with these patients since she was the only SLP I had that could be there all the time. So we actually were able to utilize the same um, technology that the intensivists were using to help Um, and mainly, I mean, we do some, we obviously do some cognitive and communication stuff, but in the hospital, the more critical thing is the swallowing. So doing bedside swallow evaluations and making sure, um, people aren't aspirating. So that's what we were looking at. So, um, we actually used, um, OTs and PTs that were already treating the patient in the room and then had our speech language pathologist at a computer. Um, outside of the room and was kind of directing the activities of the OT and the PT as far as helping her do a bedside swallow evaluation and or training and exercises and things like that. Mm-hmm. So um, I think I think we ended up using the technology more than the intensivists and for a longer period of time than the intensivists. Um, even though probably if we would have asked for it just for, for speech, they would have probably looked at us cross, cross-eyed. We're not a 
high volume, um, uh, high dollar money maker for the hospital. Right. But we were able to jump on and use that along with them. And I think it, it worked really well. And then once, um, you know, people were vaccinated and still able to go in, we were also, we continued to use that technology for students. Um, so students that were training with our speech therapists that also couldn't go in with COVID patients. So our speech therapist went in the room and then the student was able to observe and to interact and see the session um, that way as well. So uh, I don't think anyone else is using it. We probably used it even a month or so ago when we had a student. So that kind of helped uh, them be involved and be able to provide that learning experience. I think that's one of the things that we don't talk about much with COVID is how much that's impacted and will continue to impact the ability of students to train in facilities, especially right. acute care facilities. It's been a huge um, challenge to keep that education going and um, to continue people and to continue students in their graduate programs. So yeah, anyway. and I, I, I liked how you talked about the bedside swallow exams because I feel like swallowing is one area where people are like, oh, you can do, you know, teletherapy for everything else, but that is kind of yeah. how I think the feeling is. So I like that you talked about that if you have someone else that is trained in their room and that can help, you know, do the physical things, but you still have the speech therapist um, evaluating that, then you're still able to use that technology for that. Yes. Yeah. It, it worked well for us. And I think it was a good cross training, um, you know, for our, for OTs and PTs too. I mean, we, right. we know what, uh, what the, the speech therapists do, um, but how involved in what they're looking for, like, they don't know as well. And I think they learned that so they can come sometimes, you know, refer our speech therapist patients say, Hey, I was working with this patient. They had ice chips and this, and this happened, you know, and, and bring that to the attention of the physicians and, and get orders and keep our patients safe. So. And so are you, are you now seeing Dana that the patients, some patients or families are wanting to continue with telehealth or they all want to come back to the um, hospital? I think so, and all of that, all of that that I described, we actually did inside the hospital. It, we were just in different areas of the hospital. So we weren't necessarily treating from home or, you know, um, it was just all acute care um, that was happening just in different locations to save on PPE and to help keep our speech therapist safe. Um, I think, I, I think um, in other areas, I, I think it's just made us all feel more comfortable with telehealth and doing things over the computer and um, pictures and, and FaceTime and those things. I mean, I've, you know, I'm always giving um, advice to family members and friends and stuff like that. And it makes me more aware of, okay, I can just video that and I can, mm -hmm. you know, send that to you and I can, it's something you can use when you need. I've also had um, in-laws with health problems who have lived six hours away and were the closest um, the closest of their kids to them. The others are farther away. And we've 
you know, been able to enact, you know, doing appointments with them, you know, via telehealth, go to their doctor's appointments and, and again, give them instructions and have them, you know, show us the medications they're taking and get things set up that way. So I just think it's just been a huge impact on just helping all of us, you know, use it for what it's worth. Yeah. So you're seeing, yeah, sort of a range, I'm sorry, Kim, you're seeing a range of applications there that you can use telehealth for. Yes, for sure. Um, I would say the first, and I didn't use it, but um, I was doing uh, physical therapy uh, contract work for charter school um, kids. And I, I did mostly on site, but an OT I worked with did um, telehealth. And that's been over five years ago or more. And, you know, she said, as long as the parents were involved, that worked really well for her. And when Kim asked me to do this, I kind of brought it up and I don't know if she wants to lead into this, but I um, had just had a huddle that we do every day at work. And I said, oh, okay, who, my sister's trying to volunteer me, who else can I volunteer <laughs> to talk about telehealth? And so we kind of started talking about it just all there together. And, and I was like, oh, I should have recorded this because it was interesting, the different opinions and experiences people had, um, you know, and these were all OTs and PTs. Um, and one of the PTs, her sister does cardiac rehab, um, I think for the Mayo Clinic. And they, she was doing, in fact, that's who I was trying to volunteer. So you might be able to get her on a future program, but yeah. she did cardiac rehab um, over telehealth um, pretty quickly after COVID started. Um, so, so that was one instance. I had another therapist who had been doing pediatric home health and she, that was in Colorado before she moved um, to here. And she just said, oh, telehealth is awful. <laughs> she just said it was really hard to do pediatric PT over telehealth. She said part of it was the video capability. She felt like she was motion sick by the time the session was over, um, you know, and then having, having to try and instruct someone else, you know, she just said it was really hard. I think she could visualize what was happening, but in order to help someone else transfer that to the actual um, student, she said that was, that was really challenging. And then I had another therapist whose mom is also a physical therapist in her 60s. And she said, my mom couldn't do it. She couldn't figure out the technology. So anyway, so it's just kind of funny. Everyone had an interesting, you know, just wide range of opinion and on it. perspective on it. So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So any ideas on how, I don't know, we get people trained or make them feel more comfortable or help them figure out like... I, I don't blame them. The pediatric, um, physical therapy online sounds really difficult. If you've been in and seen how hands-on a pediatric physical therapist is, but what, what do you think are some solutions to some of those problems people are having? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I think if you could, if you could have maybe, a um, an occasional live session, you know, mm-hmm. with the parents and the kids to be like, okay, this is what we're trying to achieve. I feel like if you could do that, you know, maybe once a month or something, 
and then that would decrease the the need for travel or on either by either therapist or patient um you know and then in the interim have things that you're suggesting as far as what you're able to achieve um with that in person um what else i think um you know probably some video capability i've always um what are those those video exercise things that they have i can't remember what they're called but anyway where you have the whole screen that will do a video exercise program that people can buy and they follow oh I yeah it's like name. it's almost like a mirror yeah but yeah. it also has yeah. exercise things yeah. on it yeah so i thought about that once i thought that would be a really great way to um, do teletherapy, you know, whether it's physician or therapy Uh or whatever, because they can see what they're doing and you can also see what they're doing. Mm -hmm. I think that could be valuable. And even being able to record that to show someone over and over again, what they're doing. Um, I feel like the, I don't know, kind of a physical therapist, a physical therapy, um, style of intervention or just my training that I've done is more integrative movement therapy. And I really feel like people need to pay attention to how they're moving and what they're doing and that that can help reduce their pain. And I, I had someone just come up to me last week um, and I had helped him with some running injuries. And a lot of times I forget people will come up to me and say, Oh, in fact, that happened two times this week. People come up to me and say, oh, you helped me with this. You know, how can you help me with this next injury? And they tell me what I told them. And I was like, oh, I don't remember that. That was really smart of me. But anyway, <laughs> what I do is I want them to understand how they move and what they're right. doing wrong that is causing their pain. Or I guess I shouldn't say wrong, but what they're doing that's causing their pain and being able to adjust that. And this one um, neighbor came up and he said, yeah, it took me about two years to change how I walk and run, but I don't have any pain now. You know, how, how are you going to have an enduring treatment with anyone for two years? Most people don't have the patience or the money for that. And so by doing something tele and maybe just checking in every once in a while, you know, how valuable could that be? Or like I said, that mirror design of them learning how they're moving and same thing if a nurse at work said she was asking about her elbow and because she said oh yeah you fixed my hip you told me what to do with that and it doesn't hurt anymore you know and again it was just you know looking at how she moved suggesting another way for her to move and having her feel the difference and feel the lack of pain mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. um that's I, I guess that's something that I think could be a really useful technology Right. And I think that idea of just like borrowing technologies for other things and then thinking about how we could use them for what we already do. When you talked about that, I was also thinking about like video games, like, you know, on the Wii or, and, um, PlayStation, if, if it can tell how you're moving your body to do the right dance moves (laughs) or, you know, dance revolution or whatever, then why couldn't it also that same technology also be used for like you know, I'm, I'm sure it's not as, um, fine-tuned as it needs to be, but it is there to be fine-tuned. So you could maybe use it for something like physical therapy or even, you know, potentially swallowing someday if we could get some that were fine-tuned for that. Yeah. 
I was so, yeah, just, I mean, even go ahead. No, I was I was just noticing um, there was a uh, a local company that came to Akron here where I am, and I think they were an Israeli company. I forget the name of them, but they were in the process of developing these small sort of rubber balls that had sensors in them. And and the and so you could connect through telehealth to the home, and then the child would hold the the balls, and and then they would direct them on how to move with the balls and do all these different games. But it was a you know incorporating some OT as well as PT depending on the needs of the child, and then yeah. the balls would register like range of motion and all this other stuff. Um, based on that that child's profile, but it was all about the sort of the gamification of of healthcare, which I think we're going to see a, more and more of as we go forward. Yeah, and I mean that those things. I mean, how much could that contribute to research? Because you can, mm -hmm. you know, right. measure exact movements and changes in movement with that, which has been very hard for us to do in some of our professions, and is maybe why you know we don't get the the credit or the reimbursement or all of those things that you know some of us might think we deserve <laughs> so yeah and i was gonna we talked about have talked about that before too what are some of the barriers that you see um for teletherapy continuing and growing um i mean reimbursement is one that i think organizations are are trying to work on um and other than that, I, I don't know that there are many, that's, that's the I think big one. The, the sky could be the limit with that. I think it's more convenient for people. I think it's, um, you know, something that, that people want and can be really useful. I mean, you know, I had a friend who, um, has been needing to see, I think an endocrinologist for a, probably a few years and she didn't even want to do it until you know she could just call him up and have a visit in her own home I think that's something you know that we underestimate people have you know anxieties and and barriers and time constraints and things like that that keep yeah. them from getting the services they need and you know how much how much can we do with that I think another area and I'm this is not my area, but of expertise. So I don't know how much of it is being done, but just the whole mental health um, area and how that's so needed in COVID and we can't find enough providers and we can't, you know, reach out to people that need it enough. I think that's a huge area of growth for, mm -hmm. you know, teleservices for someone to be able to be in their own home and be able to click a button and reach out for help mm -hmm. when they, you know, are at the, feel like they're kind of at the, end of what they can handle. So I think that's um, somewhere as far as other barriers, you know, I think, I think COVID has helped, you know, get rid of those. Right. And I think a lot of them were perceived because mm -hmm. once COVID hit, we, they, they weren't there anymore. <laughs> yeah. And I would, it's one of those things that I like to bring it bring out COVID positives, you know, right. Meaning mm -hmm. what are the positives from COVID? And that's definitely one of them. Right. 
Right. And I liked how you um, mentioned earlier that they were originally bought the iPads and things for the physicians and then you guys piggybacked off of it. And I feel like that's how a lot of things go with getting funding and stuff for um, telepractice is that it starts with telemedicine. And then we have to be like, Hey, don't forget us either. Don't forget the mm-hmm. PTs and OTs and SLPs while you're making all of those, those laws and funding things. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, as therapists, we need to be, and I haven't been as good as I should be, but we need to be out, you know, advocating for that and, you know, emailing our representatives and making sure that we have a voice um, to help that continue because it's, it's going to be such, I mean, you know, there's going to be a shortage of, of healthcare providers. And I think that's the only way we're going to be able to reach out to those underserved areas and, um, things like that, and to try to improve health outcomes in all areas by utilizing telepractice. I agree 100%. And you'd mentioned be, you know, mental health and behavioral health. Yeah, I think they're they're probably 80 to 90% on doing telehealth now. I mean, it's yeah. it's pretty high number because they've just transit they were transitioning to, to that anyway and then covid hit. And yeah. they've sort of they're they're probably a step ahead of most of the the rest of us uh, and sort of in rehab and and speech pathology, audiology, OTPT. Yeah, they're they're sort of paving the way for yeah. the need, you know, for telehealth and having access. Yeah. Yeah. So Dina, I don't know if uh, Kim. I warned her. You don't you ever did warn, warn her. I did warn her. Well, <laughs> make uh, it less fun. <laughs> Kim, th- this is our moment of Zen. So Kim gave me a series of ten questions that were kind of personal for just you. Oh. Oh no. <laughs> I warned you and he's still messing with you. <laughs> <laughs> so these are these are questions that we ask uh, our guests just to get to know them on a more personal level but, and uh, and it's also we think it's kind of fun. Our guests probably think it's torture, but anyway. Uh, you ready to go? I I guess I'm yeah, I'm scared now. What's the most used app on your phone? Oh, I'm not really a app. I don't know. Probably um, lately we've been wanting to plan a trip, even though that's probably not in the cards. I've been using Skyscanner. <laughs> um, other than that, probably my financial you know, either my bank or my, um, stocks. <laughs> okay. That's good. That's good. Uh, what was the last TV series you streamed? Um, so my, my daughter's been watching Gilmore girls and I've kind of been watching that. I watched all of it when she was too young. So she's almost 15. So she might be old enough to watch it now. Um, so kind of with her, I've been watching that probably full start to finish series would be parks and rec, I would say. So awesome. That's a good one. Uh, what's a favorite book? Um, 
so I'm not an avid reader, but um, the the books I've read probably most recently and really enjoyed um, from the Arbinger Institute leadership books. So mm -hmm. leadership and self-deception, mm -hmm. anatomy of peace. Um, what was the other one out of the, anyway, though there's one other in that series, but I really like those mm -hmm. and um, feel that they're beneficial for anyone for work mm -hmm. life or family life or anything. I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with those. Um, who would you like to have dinner with, dead or alive? Um, dinner with. I. Um, I kind of like. Um, kind of beginning politicians, I guess, of our country, like Thomas Jefferson or um, Lincoln. I just mm -hmm. think they uh, were very, you know, just so um, ahead of their time in, in politics and innovation and stuff like that. I don't know. That would be thing, really cool to do. Yeah. Um, if you could create one law or behavior that everyone had to follow, what would it be? Law or behavior that everyone had to follow. Um, uh, I would say um, something along the line of, and I don't know how you monitor this, but something along the line of gratitude mm -hmm. and service to others, because that's how we um, will fill better about ourselves is by reaching out. I agree. I think that's perfect. Um, where is the most exotic or farthest place you've ever been? Um, I, I've been, um, I've traveled in China. I guess that's probably the farthest and most exotic or I would say farthest, the most exotic place I would say um, is helicopter skiing in the Canadian Rockies. So oh, I know people nice. would think of exotic as something tropical or something whatever, but mm -hmm. that uh, just amazing experience that I hope to do again soon when we're allowed into Canada and there's snow there. Awesome. Um... Well, this is kind of related to that, maybe. Uh, what's the scariest thing you've ever done? And you can define scary in any way you want. Yeah, that that wasn't scary at all. Um, Helicopter skiing wasn't sca scary. No. No, it okay. Um, it would terrify me. <laughs> yeah. Um, scary. Uh there's something kind of on the verge that I'm thinking about, but um, later in life, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of scared of heights. Um, mm -hmm. So I feel like being on the edges of things mm -hmm. <laughs> um, 
And, and it's funny, I didn't ever notice that until I was pregnant with my daughter. <laughs> and then since then, so mm-hmm. something about being on the edge, um, mm-hmm. scared me. I don't love confrontation of many types either. So that's like, if I'm, you know, headed into a meeting with, um, physicians or whatever that we know it's going to be kind of a, um, I guess, and it doesn't always end up being confrontational, but the, mm-hmm. the, um, expectation of confrontation that scares me, I guess. Um, yeah, that probably covers it. Yeah. Have, have you seen the, or read the book, the crucial conversations and crucial yes. confrontations? Crucial right. conversations. I have, um, mm-hmm. I have read that book and done the training and I remember being in it and thinking that seemed really good, but I feel like implementing it is a whole other, um, yeah, I, right. I wouldn't say I've been able to implement that very well. Yeah. Um, it takes, it takes everyone buying into it. That's for sure. Yes. Um, what is a pet peeve? And you cannot say being on your sister's podcast. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so people saying they're bored is a pet peeve. Um, that comes from our mom. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Saying you're bored gets you in lots of trouble. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, you don't say that. Uh, yeah, that's probably the main one. Um, there's probably other little things, but that's other things that can't come from growing up. Um, you know, slamming doors, leaving lights on. <laughs> Those are um, frowned upon. <laughs> um, if you didn't choose your current profession, what profession would you like to try? So I have always thought it would be cool to be a pilot but I'm very motion sick. So that would never really be in the cards. And I almost always get sick on planes, but (laughs) if I didn't have those barriers and I, you know, I've always thought that would be fun. So it's more of a dream profession, not of like, Oh, I would either do this or that. That's not something I could actually do, but it's something I think would be cool. And a final question, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Oh, um, I, I don't know if, if he, the less he had to say, the better, (laughs) maybe. (laughs) So you don't want to hear the details, just no, uh, no, no. Yeah, either I'm in or I'm fly, out. Fly don't. under the radar. <laughs> yes. right. yes. and, and so one bonus question for you, Dana, is tell me one thing about, about Kim that I do not know. Oh, I don't know what you know and what you don't tell, know. Tell, tell, me, tell me something about her childhood. How was she as a little sister? Um. So I'm not the sister with the best memory. <laughs> so we'll <laughs> say that. Um, 
Kim was, uh, she was very, oh, here's one. She was very happy. She was very easy to please. I remember, and I don't know if I remember this, but I remember my mom saying this, like that, you know, Christmas or birthday or whatever, she was happy with anything, which my mom loved. And my mom describes her as saying, oh, look, some new underwear. And she was just <laughs> overjoyed. <laughs> yeah I was telling someone that story the other day and I had to point out just so you know they were days of the week underwear <laughs> and that's what made them cool okay not not there the underoos like the you know you match you mix and match them you know yep yep they were days of the week underwear and I was probably five so <laughs> yes so that's that's been a fun story um yeah, Kim, just, I would say in general, just pretty happy, easy to get along with, fun to be with. Um, and yeah, low stress. I remember like going to help her move here recently and she was just like as calm as anything. And I can't really seem to be that calm even when things aren't stressful. So that was impressive. She is a, an impressive young woman, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, Dina, thank you for being with us. It's been great. Do you, would you like to share a way that people could maybe contact you if they have questions or you want to stay um, anonymous? <laughs> oh, they can, if they want to contact me, they can. Um, I can give my, my email. Um, it's D-E-N-A dot S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S-O-N. So the long Stevenson at mountainstarhealth.com. Awesome. Well, thank you for being on the podcast and, and we really appreciate everything and good luck with the rehab department and all the uh, hopefully yeah. more telehealth that will come your way. Yeah, we're, we're working on some, some opportunities. So I'll try and get you some more um, guests. Great. That'd be great. Okay. Have a great day. Thank you, Dina, for being with us on the podcast. And thank you for sharing some of your challenges and insights, as well as some of the victories in terms of telepractice for your staff. And it's always great to hear from someone who's in administration and who's also a clinician, a practitioner, who can relay what they've gone through over the past year, especially with COVID. So thank you again for joining us. And thank you for being such a great listener to this podcast. Just a quick shout out to those of you who may not know that we at the 3C Digital Media Network are moving over onto a new platform called Learn Worlds. And we want you to join us. So coming soon, this week as a matter of fact, we'll be making that transition. So very, very soon, you can uh, go to the 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com website and check out our new site and check out what we have to offer through Learn Worlds. I think you'll be excited. And I'm excited that you are with us and you continue to support this podcast and showing us the love with all the reviews uh, those do help. The five-star reviews do help, and it helps us to attract new listeners and new subscribers. So 
thank you for doing that. Until next week, we'll be back with another exciting episode. But until then, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.